worst part about being a Jewish Irishman is uh, the skin gets real dry. Oh man, I can't even imagine uh, a football player from South Bend, man. Speaking of that, it, I, I've got something on South Bend when the podcast starts. Oh, it started. Go ahead. Go tell me. Oh, it what started? You yeah, what oh, you okay, South Bend? Cool. So my, my great uncles both played football for Era Parsagian at Notre Dame. And one of mine, Babe Murphy, he is in the Notre Dame Athletics Hall of Fame. Um, he broke a world record, I think, in the 400-meter relays at Notre Dame. So I didn't get any of his speed. But um, later that day, Jesse Owens broke his record. So On the uh, same day. Same day at the Drake relay, Relays in like 30, 39 maybe. It was – because it was the year before we boycotted the uh, the Olympics. So we never went to the Olympics, but he played ball for Eric Parsegian, uh, world record holder for about two hours, Notre Dame Hall of Fame. So I've got too many ties to Notre Dame than a Jewish Michigan fan should. So it's just... Um... <laughs> yeah, you really, like, uh, from the sounds of it, chose the wrong side of your, and your fan alliance there. Way to go. Yeah. It's um, it is what it is. So all right, so so welcome back, everyone. This is the MGo Fish Podcast. Back, because uh, you know we like to do podcasts once a month, uh, you know, twice a semester, three times a year, something along those lines, and uh, occasionally, occasionally, I like to put something out on iTunes just to say I did it. Maybe it's a vanity project. Maybe it's not. Uh, but I do enjoy talking Michigan football. I'm your host, David Arnold. With me normally is Stephen Ossentoski, um, our favorite analyst slash hype man, hype film guru. Uh, but he's not with us tonight. So instead, I have brought first-time podcaster. Uh, this is your first time, right, Harry? First time on this one, oh, oh, on this one. All right. Oh, I'm not your first, Harry. This is I tragic. David. Oh, tragic. We've got our co-host, Harry Hillman, over there. Uh, if you check out the MGOFISH website, you, you've definitely seen an uptick in articles written. And they're pretty much all from Harry, I think. Uh, maybe not all from Harry, but Harry's been a, a nice contributor to the website here pretty recently. And we're excited to have him on the podcast. Harry, what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at Harrison Quinn 90 at Harrison Quinn 90. And you can find me at David Arnold Mish, kind of like Michigan, M I C H. Um, and you can find Garrett fish all and the MGO fish website at MGO fish Harrison. Uh, so you like football. You're a Michigan fan. I am. Uh, even though you have relatives who played football at Notre Dame, um, Tell me a bit about yourself. This is your first time on this podcast, apparently. Um, you're a Michigan fan. Born and raised in Michigan and in Indiana and in Illinois, Wisconsin. Where are you from? So I um born in Connecticut. Nice. Uh, to moved to uh, Rochester, Michigan. Okay. So started started rooting for sports there. So that's how I became all Detroit, all um, 
Alt Michigan, where we're in Connecticut. We're in Connecticut. Uh Stanford. Stan. Oh, da 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 da. The Office there. Oh yeah. Uh, the secondary branch of yeah, the yeah, Office. Yeah, secondary. Yep. Season two, of The Office, where mm-hmm. we get where we get um my look like Andy. Yeah. Uh, yes. There we go. Um. Okay. So Stanford, not that important. But anyways, moving on. Moved to Rochester, Michigan. And then you became a Michigan fan. Uh, Lions fan, Tigers fan. What, what are your sports allegiances? Red Wings. Um, Not a boy. Shit. Everything Detroit, basically. Um, big fan of uh, Lapuma's uh, Coney Island Beef Dogs in Rochester. So uh, we'll always plug them. Um, right. The only place I still remember. Um, all-time favorite restaurant right on the river. Um, then I moved to, uh, the suburbs of Chicago, uh, when I was 10 or 11. Um, that's a man of honor right there. That's a true Michigan man admitting mm-hmm. that he's not from Chicago. He's from the suburbs of Chicago. Suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. So about 40 minutes outside of Chicago and then played college football in, um, the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. And then moved to Iowa City, Iowa. So we've been making our way out west and living the dream. Look at this, man. We've actually got college football playing experience on the podcast. I was a lowly video coordinator in college. Steven is a great video analyst now. It's good to have some actual college football experience. Tell me, Harry, you played on offense in college. Uh, you definitely played under a system pretty similar to Josh Gaddis, right? A lot of speed and space. Uh, yeah, I would say uh, if you take what Josh Gaddis does and take a complete 180, that would probably be um, about as similar as it gets. So so what was the offensive system used? We, we were in the, the triple option offense. So if you were to dial up a Navy game, we run almost an identical offense to uh, the Naval Academy. Um, Smart man, not saying Army there. Yeah, Smart well, man. Well, so they're they're different, by the way. Oh, oh. Army and Navy are different. They run they run different styles of a similar offense. Where we're, I would say, we're first cousins of Army, and then like pretty like removed cousins from Air Force. So it, it's all <laughs> it's like. Um, it's just like a giant umbrella of the triple option. There are different segments everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Navy's a little bit different. Um, there's a little bit more stuff in terms of moving their slots onto the line to be a de facto tight end to uh, mess around with the, uh, the spacing and stuff. So a lot of nerdy stuff, but um, pretty identical to, to Navy. Um, very similar to Army. Got a soft spot in my heart. I ran the triple option through sixth grade through college. So. Wow. So, yeah, so high school, college, middle school, I was a triple option guy. So You should have grown up in the Tom Osborne era over in Nebraska, man. You yeah. You would have been perfect in that program. Yeah, uh, I mean. What, one of the most epic things I can ever – I just think about you know, the lore of college football. College football has a lot of great stories, mm-hmm. great – cultural like lore type stories tom osborne at nebraska having the entire state purposely run the triple option the or the same 
Was it the? Tri- I assume it's the triple option. Yeah, it was. Um, it what? started Billy the the um, with the um, the wishbone. Wishbone. And then it that's moved right. more into the triple option that you see now that Eric Crouch ran in the the early to mid nineties. So the the fact that Nebraska had their entire high school system throughout the entire state run the same exact offense as their college program, very like a. Uh, Oh, small country with a with a dictator running the entire place esque. Yeah. Uh, of course, they're famous for their walk ons, and it blows my mind even now to think about how Eric Crouch won a Heisman as soon as twenty years ago, nineteen ninety nine, off the back of a triple option offense. It might have even been two thousand one. No, no, you're. I th- I think it was ninety five. No, 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 no. Eric Crouch. No, that was the last time they they won. A national title because they did not win one in '97. Eric Crouch definitely won his Heisman in uh, '99. I'm googling this for reference right now. I would guess '95. That's what I would guess. Are you ready? Are you ready for this, young Padawan? Because because Eric Crouch wasn't on the '97 Nebraska team. Young Padawan, do you want to guess the year Eric Crouch won Heisman Trophy? Is it '99? 2001. What? 2001. A, a, a player won the Heisman in the 2000s under the triple option offense. How about that? Oh, what? <laughs> in fact, I am, I am on. You're going to have to cut that from the record. No, I, uh, yeah, triple option. Who, who, am I, who am I thinking? I mean, of? you you were five at the time. Oh, so. I was thinking of Tommy Frazier. Tommy Frazier. I was thinking of Tommy Frazier. I'm, I, I, I won't blame you. You were five at the time. It's okay was young man actually eric crouch played football up until this decade his mm-hmm. last season was with the omaha nighthawks in 2011 blowing my mind actually right there um so tommy tommy frazier won at 95 yep so okay i was mixing up um because I, I remember i watched um videos of uh tommy frazier just tearing up florida so uh um, can, can i just tell you eric crouch 2001 Heisman Trophy winner. I'm I'm gonna read you his passing stats. Okay. Quarterback, quarterback Heisman Trophy winner 2001. Um, <laughs> 189 attempts, 105 completions, so 55 percent passing percentage. Seven touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Eric Crouch threw more interceptions than touchdowns the year he won his Heisman. He scored 18 total touchdowns. Oh, no. 18 rushing touchdowns, 10 passing touchdowns. He had 28 total touchdowns. 28 total touchdowns, his Heisman winning year. Let's let's compare. Who won the Heisman last year? Uh last Kyler? year was Yeah, last year was Kyler. Let's see. Let's see his stats for Oklahoma. Right here. Tell you how much, just in, in general, college football has, has evolved over the past 20 years. Let's see. Kyler Murray, 2018, University of Oklahoma. You want to guess how many total touchdowns he had? I'm going to guess 49. 42. 42. 42. Not too far off. And actually, that's a bit under what I was going to guess myself. From 28 to 42 in the span of 20 years. Offensive explosion, to say the least. Yeah, it's it's wild. 
It it is wild. It really is. Last time me and Steven talked, uh, Michigan was getting ready to play Notre Dame. And I got to say, a lot of things have changed since then. Um, and we will get into this later today. But, um, you know, me personally, my own experiences, I almost have to have to emotionally close off myself from this team. And, and really, I did. after, Especially after the Wisconsin game, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and even after the Notre Dame game, I chalked that up to just a fluke, right? Just It was, it was a dishwasher inside of the stadium, um, to put it nicely. So, so kind of a fluke performance. However, since the Penn State halftime, things genuinely have looked a lot different. So tell me, what are your thoughts this entire season from the start to right now where we're standing uh, on Gaddis, on Harbaugh, on the offense, on the defense, I want to hear it all. Just go and rant to me. Okay. Give me what you got. In terms of the program as a whole, I would say definitely trending upwards, trending in the right direction again. Um, the Something that was really nice to see from my perspective is just how the defense is able to consistently restock and reload and tailor itself towards – the players they have, the players they're bringing in without losing much from the players they're losing. This defense in particular looks a lot different schematically than the defenses of the past couple years. I would compare this a lot more to Gary Patterson's old 4-2-5 nickel defenses where it's really just getting the fast and athletic guys in position to swarm over the field. So being able to see Don Brown adjust on the fly has been a positive. In terms of the offensive side of the ball, they took a lot of their bumps, took a lot of their bruises. I think that the worst thing that, that could have happened for Michigan was was the Josh Gaddis hype train. Some of it earned, some of it undeserved. But when you have guys like Bruce Feldman and – uh, some of the, the mission guys like Sam Webb. Oh, I mean, even Emgo Blog was buying into yeah, Notoriously yeah. the most pessimistic yeah. group and, of people you'll ever find. We're buying and, into it, right? And to, to an extent, the the vision was there. I, I was excited for Gaddis. I still am excited for I him. mean, I got to say, I got to say my, my own opinion, and I've told this on Twitter, I think the most underrated part of life that is not properly represented on the internet is that if you make a wrong assumption, prediction, statement to say, Hey, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I now believe this. I think that's a very positive thing that you don't see on the internet because people like, you know, do not like to admit fault and people like to slam dunk on people. I tweeted out a few weeks ago. I was completely wrong about Gaddis and Shea Patterson. Mm-hmm. Um, although, although based on the prior evidence, that was the proper conclusion to make, although it was not time to make a conclusion. Well, and I was wrong. I, mean, I think I think that that's where we probably differ a bit. Whereas your you, I, in my opinion, we didn't have enough evidence. See, and that's at it. The, it was not time to make a conclusion, but I was ready to make the conclusion, and I was completely wrong. It, when when you factor in Josh Gaddis was 
I think he was co-OC last year. He certainly wasn't the play caller. I think co-OC, wide receivers coach. He just had all the game plans upstairs. Yeah. No, he – I mean, he, he was important to that Alabama right. team. But, I mean, it's not – there's a much different feel in terms of installation, in terms of explaining everything, in terms of walking through the game plan that people don't see. Whereas everyone sees the play calling. And the play calling, in my mind, was never really the issue. It was always the installation and really what was happening behind the scenes. A lot of the clutter that we saw early in the year has been cleaned up. Caesar Ruiz has been a ton better. That's something that I've noticed a night and day difference. He's been a ton better. It looks a lot more simple for a lot of guys. Shea Patterson looks completely healthy. I think that oblique, like hand on the Bible. I think if you were to ask Shay, Jim Harbaugh, Josh Gaddis, I think that oblique was a much bigger deal than they were letting on. I think that the, they got too cute. Do you, I've, I've got a question for you. This, mm-hmm. this might be a more general theoretical question, but we'll see how it goes. Okay. Do you think from the beginning of spring through the start of the season, Harbaugh, um, and Warner, do you think those types of people who have so much experience, such a dearth of knowledge, maybe gave Gaddis a little too much freedom to do his own thing and, and trust him a little too much? And then at some point during the season, they realized he's a very smart guy, but we need to start working with him to work out these game plans and maybe start helping him out a little bit. My theory is that Harbaugh went to Gas and say, hey, you're still the man. Let me help you a little bit more here. Warner, the same thing because they've simplified the run game. Am I am I wrong in saying that? It. I don't. I don't think. I think you're getting to the right destination. I think you're talking taking the wrong route. Okay. Right. Right. I think in terms of it, I think I don't really think there is a too much freedom you give your offensive coordinator. I think it's something where it's if you're bringing in that guy to bring in a new offense, something that is not a night and day difference towards what they did last year, but pretty different. They're going a way different direction. You bring him in and you need to get out of the way. Which they did. I I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. So I don't think there is a too much freedom. There's going to be bumps and there's going to be bruises. A very rarely will a brand new play caller OC work out as well as Joe Brady has for LSU. You, you know, not only Joe Brady, I think my my hope, <laughs> my hope and expectation, more hope than expectation, but inside I was definitely hoping for with all the hype, was the Tom Herman comparison. For me, I you saw Tom Herman come into Ohio State, and Urban Meyer kind of plucked him, plucked him practically from nowhere you know, over Iowa State. And and we saw such a magical season there. Um, that's what I was hoping for. Which, to be frank, things are looking great right now. And I definitely I have eaten a lot of crow. I think a lot of other people have too. Um, I'll let you finish in a minute. But the comment you made about trending upward for the program in general and the offense in Gaddis for the this is what's made me excited about this year in comparison to previous years and why I was so down on the team at the beginning of the season. This team has never 
stumbled as significantly as they did this year out of the starting block. They lost the season opener to Notre Dame and then rebounded pretty quickly. Won, what, 10 in a row until the Ohio State game. But this year, I mean, the team just stunk right away, right? Stinker of a game, stinker of a game, get blown out by Wisconsin, et cetera, et cetera. I had never seen a Jim Harbaugh team trend upwards from the beginning of the season to the end of the season quite like this year. Because previous year's teams have done well, done well, done really well, and then the last three games of the season, including the bowl game, looked worse than at any other point in the year, right? And it looks like for the first time this season, this team kind of reminds me of the Penn State team James Franklin had that won the Big Ten a few years ago. Um, where yeah. it's like they the apt comparison. They got blown out. They got crushed by Michigan. Was it 49 to 10? 49 10. They lost to Pitt before that. Yeah, they so two after the Michigan game. They they laid stinker after stinker at the beginning of the season. And then it was like after that Michigan game, all of a sudden all of a sudden they just like it was the Moorhead offense, which I think Gaddis might have been an assistant coach on. He was. All of a sudden, the last eight, nine games of the season, Penn State looked outstanding. It got better and better and ramped up and ramped up. You know, won the Big Ten Championship, beat Ohio State that season, um, and then lost one of the best Rose Bowls of all time against USC. I mean, genuinely one of the best games I've ever seen. Um, yeah. Which, amazing to think USC was in a Rose Bowl as few as like two, three years ago. Um, that's what this team reminds me of. And I think that's actually really exciting and really encouraging. So so compared to the previous Michigan iterations where they just look like they don't care in the bowl game. And I mean, they, they didn't. I, um, I spoke to um, after the bowl game, I, I had a, someone I was talking to that was um, real. That was, he, he was the brother of a member of the coaching staff. <laughs> like, so what, what happened there? Well, first off, they thought they were going to, like, kick Florida's ass. And second of all, when you have that many guys with NFL decisions, NFL business decisions, and when you have that big of a letdown, that's the type of stuff that will happen in the bowl games. I can tell you straight up, they didn't give a shit about Florida. And, I mean, it shows. I'm not revealing any state secrets here, but I think part of – what I've had to learn to do recently, especially as guys, and I think rightfully so, have been sitting out of bowl games to protect their futures, removing the bowl game as a data point in the grand scheme of a season. Because, I mean, I mean, if you look at last year, Florida was much more motivated to be in a New Year's Six Bowl than a Michigan team that just got oh, embarrassed. Yeah. Texas was much more motivated to be in the Sugar Bowl than the team that just missed out on the college football playoff and the team that had been tweeting how they should be there instead of Notre Dame. Yeah. Oh, like, and I agree with you about the bowl game. Could do, could do. Yeah, so I, I just think that I agree with, with the point you're making. I think it's a really solid one. It, it's a thought I've had, but I mean – Last year's Florida game, I'll be honest, I didn't watch a single snap. I didn't want to watch. It was, um, it was what, like 11 a.m.? Like, I got a notification on my phone. It was starting. Like, yeah, I'm going to go, like, for a run and play with my dog. And oh, I mean, a- after that Ohio State game, 
the season yeah. was over. The season was completely over, right? But it's like it was not only that season, but the season before when the quarterback situation happened and, and you didn't have anyone ready to play quarterback. And and all of a sudden it's like Michigan had a lot of momentum. Then Wilton Spade gets hurt. And then even John O'Corn gets hurt. Then Brandon Peters gets hurt against Wisconsin. And it's like the season ended with lost Wisconsin, lost Ohio State, um, and then I don't and then lost South Carolina in the bowl game. And then the year before that was like the loss to Florida State. The lost Ohio State, lost and Magic at Iowa. Yeah, so it's like it's like, it's just like this is the first team under Harbaugh, with the exception of maybe that that Jake Rudock first year team, which was really it was just a free pass for Harbaugh. It was like Harbaugh was just building. No yeah. one expected anything, but that the season concluded with losing to Ohio State, which was fine because they had the most stacked team of all time to never win a national title. Um, in that, in that season, I should say. Um, and, and then they crushed Florida in the Outback Bowl. Um, and Capital Jake, One. What's that? Oh, oh it, was, it was Capital One Bowl. Even even more important. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but Jake Rudock looked amazing. That, that was the last time I really remembered a team under Harbaugh really looking like they're peaking towards the end of the season. And ever since, it's been a struggle. But this year is totally different. Totally yeah. different, and I did not see it coming at all. And I was mentally clocked out because it really felt like after the Wisconsin game, Harbaugh was at the point where, you know, all his coaching stops. You know, it's four years and done, four or five years and done. This was the make or break. And if, if it was going to follow the pattern of previous years, the struggles at the beginning of the season were only going to get worse as the season continued. And I, as a, as a Michigan fan, I was like, "Yep, here we go. This is it. I, I've been preparing. I've been telling all the doubters they're wrong, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. <laughs> I was not ready to harvest the potato. Um, I, I had planted it, and I just thought it was a lost cause. But Harbaugh's proven me wrong, man. Yeah, yeah he's, he's told us. Potatoes take a really long time to grow, apparently. Indeed. Indeed. So, so I gotta say, I'm I'm very encouraged by Michigan at this point. And the Michigan State game really capped it off for me. What was your thoughts going into the Michigan State game? Did you have any doubt Michigan was gonna roll like they did? Um, no, I, I thought they were gonna kick their ass. I think that. I think if you look at how they played against Michigan State, I mean, last year they kicked their ass, but due to weather conditions, the score was a lot closer than it should have been. This year, I saw a Michigan State team that was struggling, had a lot of injuries, and a Michigan team that, to be honest, plays at their best at home, which a lot of teams do. I was... I don't really know if I expected like the extent of like the ass kicking on Saturday. <laughs> I definitely did not. We if, literally if, had so good. Levert Hill backpedaling from a pick six to talk shit where like that full blown like breed of ass kicking where you can give up points to get in someone's face. I'm a big fan of, but I mean, I thought that was going to be a really good win for Michigan. I thought that, they really have turned the corner since Penn State. And I, I had conversations with um, a few recruits and a few of their parents recently, and 
<laughs> attitude is night and day different through the through the incoming class, through the current players, through the coaching staff, where it's the the buy-ins there. Whereas you, you know what Wisconsin, you can tell the buy-in wasn't completely there. They're getting a little cute, and they they weren't really mentally tough. Whereas Wisconsin, they go down seven nothing. They have the sixty-yard pass to Ronnie Bell, and yeah, then I mean the full, and it was over. What a man, Ronnie Bell. This you know this team, and it feels kind of silly saying this. We're five years in, but um, Harbaugh inherited a team full of future stars. One thing one thing Hope did was he hit on a lot of stars, not offensive linemen or quarterbacks, but stars. Well, had uh, very little defenses. Yes, right. So so did not have very much going. Harbaugh's first couple of teams were so stacked with these star-minded personalities, which was great. He was able to turn them into a winning team immediately. But it's like there there was something about his Stanford teams where the the hard-nosed toughness was very much earned through trials and tribulations and the you know kind of forged in the major upset against Stanford or against USC where they're the 49-point underdogs. It, it was it was naturally progressing game. And I look at this year's team, and we've got Shea Patterson. But Shea Patterson is a five-star who's gone through a lot of ish. You know, he's gone through a lot. Um, and, and even this year, he's gone through a lot. You look at the offensive line, there's no one really especially heralded on the offensive line except for the center. And how often is a center going to be such a star? Coming out of high school, I would say he was heralded. I, I, coming out of high school, I, I would – vehemently disagree ben bradison and michael and when you were both top 150 players um those are both big time guys yeah, okay i guess okay well offensive I, line guru over here i yeah. i honestly i don't i don't think of heralded offensive line recruits as truly being mega stars unless they're tackles born out of the womb and just ready to be like the NFL guy, the Jake Long, et cetera, et cetera. But I understand your point there. They're definitely skilled. They're talented. Um, but we've just had so many question marks up until this year. So then, and then the wide receiver core is definitely gifted. So push them to the side. But you've got running backs who you have questions about because Hassan Haskins and Charbonnet is a true freshman. And you've got the defense for the first time is not completely stacked. So for the first time, Don Brown is having to show his his ability to adapt and and be the guy he was at Boston College and at UConn. The the truly like let let's you know let's patch holes in the ship and keep the ship afloat kind of thing. I, I mean they tried Ben Mason defensive tackle, which thank God they're not anymore. Right, so this is the first team under the horrible era that I can really remember that was like, that was talented. Yes. But also I don't think the egos are there necessarily. And also their egos were broken down to a point after the Wisconsin game, um, after the army game, after the middle Tennessee state game where it looks like they're, they're earning their confidence right now and they're starting to peak. And it makes me feel really, really good about things. I don't expect an Ohio state win. But man, like I'm starting to at least like dream again for the first time, and I, I promised myself I would not dream. I promised myself I wouldn't dream. 
Yeah, I, I think that a lot of the um, observations you've had are, are pretty spot on, especially defensively in that there it wasn't a completely star-studded, loaded defense. Which, Harry, you're allowed to tell me I'm an idiot. You're allowed to be like, no, you're really wrong. I, I, think, I think you have um, a lot of viable ideas there, and I, I think especially on that one, trust me, I mean, I've told you you're an idiot on plenty of things before. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to do that, but the defense really, they had to nut up and part of why <laughs> yes, was yes, they did with the Wisconsin game was it was a younger defense going against an incredibly talented smash mouth, like run the ball down your throat type of offense in Wisconsin that just wanted to control the gaps and exploit him with Jonathan Taylor. It was, um, I mean, that's tough. That That's an attitude adjustment when you have people running over you. I, I, I gotta say, I like, I, I did not like them being embarrassed the first three weeks of the season. Yeah. But <laughs> I've gotta say, I've, I've very much enjoyed watching the progression and the maturity growth of this team since then. I, I can't remember I can't remember feeling pride in a Michigan team like this because of the way they've responded to having their backs against the wall. Well, I mean that's that time hindsight. Well, Last so year I, we won ten straight games after a loss and beat ranked Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State. You, okay, I did feel similar after the Wisconsin night game on national television last year. I did feel like that. Penn State nationally televised ass whooping. Yeah, that's against James Franklin, man. I just I savor that. I enjoy that, and I savor it. I don't I don't take anything greater from those game from the game against Penn State. Uh, I <laughs> got like beating Michigan State the way they did it, beating Notre Dame the way they did, was different for me, in the sense that Michigan traditionally does not play their rivals as well as they should. And as well as they're capable of doing, even even when beating Notre Dame in the in the early two thousands, the late two thousands, it was against a hampered Notre Dame squad. It was against overrated Notre Dame teams, severely overrated Notre Dame teams. In the games they've beaten Michigan State in the past, the games have been closer than they should be, because Michigan State has has kind of dominated the rivalry over the past decade. Um, I think the reason they've dominated the rivalry is. I mean, it's two sides of the same coin. I mean, Michigan beat some overrated and kind of less talented Notre Dame teams. I think that applies to what Michigan State did to Michigan. Where the, the reason they haven't played as well against the rivals recently, at least until these last couple of years, they've all had better programs than Michigan. Which is which is the best part about watching this team. Because I think the last – yeah, the Wisconsin game did make me feel that same kind of pride. I, I do agree with you there. But before that, I think the 2011 Michigan team, you know, where Brady Hoke pooped gold, and, and they kind of ended up winning every single game except for that Iowa game. Um, that was the last time I remember feeling that kind of pride in seeing a team grow and, and become better as a Michigan team. And that's that's what's cool about this season is is watching the team kind of grow before our eyes because I really do think they're growing before our eyes. That's and that's a I, lot of fun to watch. No, I agree a hundred percent. It's um, 
if if you break up the the season into into quarters, and and you take quarter one, which is the first three games, Middle Tennessee State, Army, Wisconsin, I think you wholeheartedly give it a D minus, if not an F. Yeah. Well, they yeah. won the game. They won the game, so let's at least give them like a C minus. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm more of a performance over results kind of guy. I, I like to say they didn't play well against Middle Tennessee State. They should have lost Army. Like those are. Well, those let are, me tell you what. In, in law school, if you get a C minus, you have to retake the class. And that's a killer. I, that's part of why I'll never end up. In law <laughs> and then quarter two was was Rutgers, was Iowa, was Penn State, Illinois. And, Illinois. Was it was it Illinois? I thought Illinois was the week after Penn State. You might be right. The week before Penn State. Week before Penn State. Yeah. Okay, so you had so Rutgers, Iowa, Illinois was the second quarter. Second quarter, I would say you can really start to see things changing a little bit. The ten three win over Iowa. That's a very talented Iowa ne- team. Ne- literally, literally, never take anything from a game against Iowa. Just, just don't like you. Just have to survive, Iowa. I, I didn't understand <laughs> a lot of the the backlash or hubbub or whatever bullshit people wanted to say about Harbaugh saying he thought the offense was taking steps in the right direction. Because during the Iowa game, I, I was watching. I'm like, this is a different team. They they were very conservative. They weren't opening it up, but in a ten three game against a really talented Big Ten opponent. Sometimes you, if it's a rock fight, sometimes you just go and get a bigger rock. It's, it's, it's Big yeah, Ten. It's very Iowa, very Big Ten. They were running the football well. Um, they were efficient. They weren't messing up. They weren't shooting themselves in the foot. There weren't a ton of mental mistakes. And I thought Michigan, okay, and they played well enough to win, which is sometimes all you can ask for in Illinois I think looking back that that was a much tougher game than we'd realized going into it bowl eligible Illinois um, so yeah I, I had a I would give that a BB plus and Penn State the first 20 minutes were terrible the next 40 were really good and Notre Dame Maryland Michigan State had given an a plus so far so really improving at the right time and kind of they're figuring out which pieces work where they're figuring out what their strengths are they're getting healthy um they have a second running back so they're not oh can, can we talk about that i think the running yeah. back the running back situation has been the most exciting thing for me this season oh hassan haskins i have loved hassan haskins since high school i am so glad that they moved him from linebacker. It is so refreshing. So he is like, I think, I don't know if this is just a problem for Michigan. I, I tend to think it's not, but when you see people who have specialized in the running back position for a long time, through up until they started college, and then are just pure running backs in college, I think they lose some of that natural instinct as a football player. Right, um, uh, you've seen it like the Derek Greens, who probably didn't even have the instinct to begin with. Um, Hassan Haskins is totally the opposite of that, where he's such an athlete, but like he has this instinct that's a football-based instinct, maybe just even a sports instinct that you don't mm-hmm. get from everyone, but when you get it from someone, 
if they have the athletic ability to back it up as well, the instinct to just just be athletic enough to never go down and just to keep churning. There's something about Haskins with his balance and his ability to, to continue running that really turns a play, every single play from a negative two-yard run to Mm-hmm. Uh, to a, a, a you know a zero yard run or a zero yard run into a two yard run. Yeah, um, like like you're saying, he's got great hidden yardage. <coughs> it's, it always, it'll show up on the box score, but when there's men around him, two yards in the backfield, it's a two yard game. He's well, not well, always going to break the 50, 60, 70 yard runs, but he's consistently going to make a couple guys miss. Um, I agree with you on his balance. Uh, you've given me permission to call you an idiot. So, oh yeah, I bring it. Uh, yes, I, I called his balance better than Mike Hart's balance. Mike Hart, I would say a little um, early to say that. Maybe getting a little ahead of ourselves. I think people forget just how good Mike Hart was. I'm not. I'm not saying he's better than Mike Hart. I, I know Mike Hart. Mike Hart is is easily the if we take Hassan Haskins out of the equation, easily. The best player I've ever seen in college at keeping his feet chopping. You know, you, hear, you just keep your feet chopping, just keep running, just don't go down. He did. He never had top end speed. We know that he was not the best athlete. We know that. But what make what made Mike Hart a great college running back was his ability to always get three yards out of every single play, at the very least. The narrative around Mike Hart, and this is a conversation for another day. But um, I think he's turning into one of the more underrated Michigan players just because he was so good. He was so good. He genuinely was so good. But I don't think people realize he he set damn near every high school football record like imaginable um, in upstate New York. Um, incredibly productive. Came into Michigan incredibly productive. Again, like you were saying, didn't have – if he had some of the, the top-end athleticism, top-end speed, then he goes from Mike Hart to maybe Ezekiel Elliott. But he, he didn't, and that's oh, okay. I mean, you know, you know who, like, um, was basically is the pro versions of him? I think of, like, LaShawn McCoy. LaShawn McCoy's shiftiness plus speed is what made him an all-pro NFL running back for many, many years. Mike Hart did not have the speed of LaShawn McCoy. Yeah. Or the pure no. athleticism, but his ability to see a hole and cut into that hole mm-hmm. immediately as he saw it and also not go down at first contact. Mike Hart could get 20 yards on a run through a hole that was, didn't even look like it was there. He he would find the appropriate hole and he could get big runs. He just couldn't break the big one, right? I think of Shady, his prime was very similar in the fact that He'd find holes that you did not see coming, and he would he would bounce off the first contact, right? But then he had elite speed, yeah, so so different animal. What's that? Were you mentioned Shady in that second part? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I would agree to to some extent. Um, I think Mike Hart. What really gets lost with him is just his lower body power, um, and that's sort of what what I've seen with like Forum in this upcoming class in terms of lower, like square to the ground guys that incredibly tough, incredibly durable, incredibly smart and enough athleticism. Whereas what you, you might not get the 60, 70 yard gains. You're not getting a ton of two or three. Well, let's make it clear. 
Hassan Haskins is not in any way, shape, or form the same type of running back as Mike Hart. And I'm not trying to claim that, right? They're two totally different runners. It's just the fact that Hassan Haskins, he goes full speed. He goes full speed and he doesn't go down on first contact. And those the combination of those two things is something you don't see very often. If someone's going full speed from first step, they're normally Chris Evans type. And, you know, on first, you know, someone breathes on them. They kind of end up going down. Um, and I, I think of the Michigan State game and one of the most important plays of the game I noted, I think it was towards the end of the first half, Michigan had the ball um, inside their own five-yard line. Might have even been on the two or the three-yard line. And it was either a first or a second down and 10. And they handed the ball off to Haskins. In every other Michigan State game I can remember in recent past, he got stuffed at the line. And it should have been either a negative yard play or a zero yard play. And he, he somehow bounced off the first guy and kind of just rode the pile to a th- two, three yard gain. And it ended up being third and seven. Yeah. Um, and because of that, Shea was able to connect with, I think it was Nico or Tariq uh, on a comeback route, you know, eight yard comeback route for, for barely a first down. It might have been Saren I, I think it was Donovan Peoples-Jones. It was, it was a good wide receiver. <laughs> but they were able, they're able to get a, a comeback route on the sideline for eight yards, just enough for the first down. And I was watching that entire sequence, and they ended up getting a field goal, if it's the drive I'm thinking about. No, no, they got – that's the drive they went 98 yards. Is, is that the touchdown drive in the second half, yeah. or is that – No, no, the, the one where they were backed up on the two where it got three, that's when it was 7 nothing. So it was so it was even more important than that. Jeez. Um, it, was, it was 7 nothing. It was second and 10. He was able to get enough to operate – uh, on third down, and they picked it up, and the rest is history. And that, so, so, so thank, thank you, thank you for that. And that what, what I was gonna ask is, it, most times that's a stuff, and, and in football, every yard is so important, right? Because every yard leads to something, a, a different play call, or, or just you know, inches, inches in the game is so important. And for Son Haskins to get those extra two, three yards where he should absolutely should not have gotten those yards was incredibly impressive to me and one of those plays that doesn't get noticed really in the box score. And really, even if you're watching the game, doesn't really look that important in comparison to the other plays. But him just being able to grind out those yards and get extra yards reminded me of Mike Hart. Yeah, and, I, 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 we'll, we'll just have to agree to disagree on the balance better than Mike Hart. I, I hope so. I think you're getting a little ahead of yourself. Um but uh, he he he's been really really good. All right, he, man. All right, let's let's after the season, let's take a look at the at the comp. Someone's gonna compile all of the touches Hassan Haskins gets. I'm telling you, man, he does not go down on the first or even no, the he, second guy. Right? No, I I agree with you 100. percent No, he is terrific. But I I just and I don't know. I I think we have a bit of ways to go, and I'm saying this right after I compared a high school running back to Mike Hart. So, but um, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm willing to to wait another couple games before calling you a full blown idiot. Well, well, yeah. Here, here we go. Thank you for that. I We're getting off track now. So, so Mike Hart, Mike Hart, easily the best running back of the past twenty years. At Michigan, Son Haskins is not there yet, and Mike Hart's greatest attribute was his balance. Right, that was like his 
absolute best attribute. And he's the greatest running back, so you would think a pretty high bar. I think Hassan Haskins has the ability to prove that his balance is on par with my car. I'm just throwing it out there. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna ride this train for the next four years. So be ready for it. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride this until I otherwise cannot. Because between, or is he a sophomore, redshirt freshman? Um, redshirt freshman. Yeah, I'm gonna ride this for the next four years. Yeah. Um, <coughs> just, I mean, one of the big differences, Hassan Haskins has probably five inches and. 30 pounds completely up. different running backs which which makes his running style so impressive because the balance plus the athleticism gives him the ability to really be a special type of running back and we'll see where it goes but i remember just just watching him you know charbonnet christian turner and even jowls jackson the, yeah what Anioc? yeah putting the Jackson. We have so much pure talent and speed mm-hmm. at the running back slash scat back slash slot guy, whatever you know, you know, just just skill players over yeah. the over the next few years. It's really exciting, and I really haven't seen that kind of talent and skill. I mean, the wide receivers have obviously been hyped up forever, but that's a different breed of athleticism and skill. Yeah, I think you're getting into a really um, good point in terms of the, the uh, sort of the gadget players. The, when you're able to have a Giles Jackson and Mike Sandersill out there at the same time and you're able to do different things. And by the way, I know how to pronounce Antioch. I was uh, giving David a hard time because he struggled with it. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's Antioch. Um, Thank you for saying that. Where um, Harris is from, by the way. Yep, yep. Um, Michigan's had a lot of recruiting battles there over the past few years, uh, and you know, their color scheme, I want to say, is black and gold. I think black and I think yellow. Green and white. What? No. I think it's green. Who? Who? Am I see. I am super conflating the California Antioch with a program. It must be in Florida. I'm I'm conflating them with with Nick Eubanks's program. I am, and I don't know why I'm doing that. But I'm I'm gonna figure this out eventually. But I okay, uh, that's that's for another day. My my memory is slipping here uh, in the recruiting scene as I dive deeper into the law books. Um, uh, what? No, it, it's black and gold. You're right on that one. Is it? Re- is it really? Is it really? Yeah, no, there's there's an Antioch. Um, in, in the area um, I'm originally from, that's green and white that I was mixing it up with. There, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for admitting defeat there. No, um, I, that's the first of probably only three times I'll ever admit I'm wrong. But oh yeah, super black and gold. I mean, like, like oh yeah, I yeah. I was very right. There I'll we go. Tenth um, search, tenth search on the images search is Jim Harbaugh and the Antioch uh, hoodie. Yep, there we go. Oh, yeah, uh, do you remember he worked? The chain gang for uh, Antioch on their homecoming game. Thanks, Najee, for nothing. They offered him a tri-tip sandwich, <laughs> which um, if you ever had tri-tip, it's uh, exceptional. Tri-tip oh, yeah. is that like all, all the beef, all the different types of meat? It's it's like a it's like a a rarer form of brisket. Ooh, it's that, it's great. I'm that a fan. Does sound delicious. Yeah, but. 
I think in terms of the the gadget players, that's something that Michigan's been lacking that that other programs like Ohio State have had. Because part of the danger with Ohio State, if you look at some of their best teams, take a look at last year, they had Mike Weber and um, J.K. Dobbins in the backfield, and they had Paris Campbell lining up as a slot, as an H-back, as a... Um, like out wide and they were able to do a lot of different things. I mean, you think about the Curtis Samuels of the world. Yeah, um, heard, um, as well. Whereas a lot of people don't realize Curtis Samuel was, uh, was an H back. That's the position Percy Harvin started with. That's right. And that's, that's the thing. If you, if you look at the key, I mean, really urban Meyer is, is the guy that cr- created the, you know, the central nucleus of today's modern spread offenses, or at least exploited it and evolved it in a way. And he used it with those type of athletes, right? So, And those are the athletes you have to get. There's a lot of Urban Meyer influence in there. Um, There's a lot of influence in other areas as well. Um, But he's been such a big driver from when he was with Utah through um uh, um no excuse me from when he was with where was he before Utah I'm I'm talking about um relevant programs uh, oh what and and that's the end of the I'm gonna fish podcast thanks for listening guys yeah right man Urban Meyer's first head coaching job Bowling Green State University you're you know welcome where, um you know where um Nick Saban's first head coaching job was yeah my other school. Toledo. That's right. That's right. Toledo yeah. Law. Well, not Toledo. There's a reason the Mac is the cradle of coaches, baby. That's right. When I um when I worked for BG and we went to play Miami at Miami, uh, the Miami of Ohio, um, yeah. they they have statues of all of the coaches who got their first start or played football for Miami. Because um, the first year I went, or, or the first time I went there was the year after they built John Harbaugh's statue. Okay. Um, because he actually John Harbaugh played linebacker at Miami. Yeah. Um, he was a really good football player. Yeah, it's something about that Harbaugh blood. About the Harbaugh yeah. blood, right? And then there's a there's a slightly new cradle of coaches, a little north in Alliance, the uh, the Mount Union tree. That's right. uh, so far as uh, Matt Campbell, Mike Yurchich, uh, Ed Warner, um, the offensive coordinator, I think Tom Manning at Iowa State. So while we're do- while we're doing this, I gotta plug something about Mount Union. Uh, we had we had our special teams coach when I was I was a graduate assistant when I was at Bowling Green, um, and he helped out with every facet of the team. He was just everywhere, right? Uh, grad assistant slash assistant coach, recruiting guy. He ended up he played football at Mount Union, came to BG as a graduate assistant under Clawson, went back to Mount Union, was there. Um, defensive coordinator for five years past five six years and switched to no he was the offense coordinator and just switched this past year to be the defensive coordinator for the past two seasons at mount union um just because he wanted the coaching challenge is that is that where your um your dave clausen love comes from did you work for dave clausen? oh yeah oh yes okay. I, I, worked, I worked i worked for dave clausen my first year we went two and ten and then my second year we went five and seven, and then my third year we went eight and five, lost a bowl game, and then the year after is when they won the MAC title game. Um, 
And I just like the linear progression and discipline in that team was just so amazing. It was the team genuinely got better every week, every year for four straight years. Mm-hmm. And it culminated in a Mac title. And it was just, it was crazy to see the, it was the, it was all about the discipline. Every practice was just so well run. And then we hired a high school football. Oh, we hired Babers and a high school football coach. Yeah. So, so I'm definitely forever a Clawson supporter. Um, it's kind of crazy to think his program building skills. He got ran out of Tennessee after one really bad year as offense coordinator. Kind of crazy to think he probably would have done pretty well at Tennessee compared to what they've had over the past decade. Uh, I'm um, I, I sort of have just a theory in in the back of my head that at some of those blue blood jobs, it's it's almost more political than it is actual it is. coaching. It, yeah, they they would they would have they would have fired him for going eight and four. When in reality, that's like ceiling at Tennessee. Dave Clawson, it's like a football caveman almost. Like those guys, until they just put up like the most incredible years, like at the sort of second tier, third tier of Power Five, there's really more of a ceiling on them. It's sort of what we're seeing with Mike Leach. Um, 100%. They're, they're 180 degree coaches like their coaching styles and disciplines however they do have exactly the same ceiling for exactly the same reasons you're totally right you're totally correct whereas if you if you don't have like the crystal perfect resume you have to win over a lot of uh a lot of different people in the hiring process and i i just don't know that many people that would go to bat for either of those guys at some of those big time blue blood political. Um, oh, I would. I mean, we can get to the point where you start calling me an idiot here. If Clawson came to Michigan and won five games in the first year and seven games in the second year, and you told me he would win 10 games by year four, I would have probably called it quits after year two. I mean, like, like I, it's too hot of a, of a seat at Michigan. You have to yeah. win two immediately. You do. You definitely do. There's definitely um, different coaches for different programs. I think where Clawson would do a really nice job. I think if um, it was looking like he'd come open, probably not anymore. I think he'd be the perfect fit for Virginia Tech. He was at Richmond before BGSU, right? He was. He was. A lot of recruiting chops in the area. He'd probably be able to keep a lot of the Virginia Beach talent home. Uh, That'd be a guy that I'd look for. Yeah. at Virginia Tech. And he's from the Northeast, right? He coached at Lehigh. And mm-hmm. UConn, when he was at Bowling Green, UConn and Wake Forest uh, interviewed him in the same week. And UConn had first dibs, and they passed on him for Bob Diaco. Ooh. And that was a mistake, I'd say. Um, I'd, I'd say they'd probably still be in, in the American Conference of Dan Clawson right now. My, my favorite, um, and this isn't necessarily UConn, but when Randy Edsel uh, got hired, do you know the story? Well, got I, hired from UConn to Maryland. Yeah, I don't know he, the story. His offensive coordinator wanted to come with him from UConn to um, Maryland. He said no. The defensive coordinator at Maryland wanted to stay. He said no, wanted to hire his own new guys. Oh, no. Who are? <gasps> Joe Moorhead. Oh, yes. Okay. Coordinator, Don Brown. <laughs> he, he very reasonably could have had Don Brown 
and Joe Moorhead on the same coaching staff. Oh, and by the way, do you want to know who um, who is, I believe, a wide receivers coach? Was it Gaddis? That'd be, that'd be James Franklin. Oh, well, well, you know. No, he left the year before. He left you, the year no, before. well, okay. So Maryland, we can, we can go down this road still. Maryland, in consecutive years, had the chance to, A, have James Franklin as their head coach, and then immediately after, when they pass on James Franklin, they could have had what Don Brown as their defense coordinator or and or Joe Moorhead as their offense coordinator. Like just yep. think about all of those dominoes. Yeah. They very much messed up on. And that is just a lot. That is a lot to think about. There's a there's a specific domino that I was kinda fleshing out earlier this year where um Actually, if you remember, Lloyd Carr tried to retire after 2006. And what was it? Dave Dave Martin, Bob Martin, whoever the AD was. Um, convinced him to stay on one more year. But had Lloyd retired, the coaches that were hired during that coaching search, Nick Saban, Mark D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, Jim Harbaugh, uh, I believe Jimbo Fisher became the head coach in waiting at Florida State that cycle. So those are five, four coaches in the ball that um, all made the playoffs. I think that might have even been the year Urban Meyer got hired in. Or it might have been the year after, year before. Urban Meyer narrowly missed Michigan two different, both times, going, to, going from Utah to Florida and going from Florida to Ohio State. The timeline, if it was any different, for there are multiple universes where Urban Meyer is legendary Michigan head coach. I, I for better or for worse, I'm just I'm just throwing I am just stating he, that he's an Ohio guy that called Notre Dame his dream job. No, no, but Let's see, but you know the do you know about the infamous contract clause with Urban Meyer, where at both Utah and Florida, the he had three schools where the where the buyout would have been you know no buyout and it was michigan ohio state and notre dame i i knew ohio state and I, or actually i think i only knew notre dame yeah it was it was all three because urban meyer i mean we don't like him that's fine we don't like him but he's he very much has his mind on being the greatest head coach of all time and i think he very much has his mind on his legacy he's very legacy minded right you and i are step for step there i yeah. think that's why the only two jobs at this point I think he'd ever take are Notre Dame and USC. He'll never do anything to mess up the Ohio State legacy. Nope. He'll never do anything to mess up the, um, the Florida Yep. Yeah. And I think there would just be too much awkwardness if you were at either of the Red River schools where I think it's it's USC or Notre Dame. I, I like how he's going to be the basically the Pep Guardiola of big-time college football. 100%. And I respect it. I respect it all. Get that bag, man. Get that bag. Just stop eating us. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, he's very much influencing the current Ohio State game plans. He, he's he's in those offices every week, every day. Um, they, he's there. He's there. I have a friend who works for the Ohio State staff, and he's Urban is yeah hand in hand. He's very much enjoying this role as as just the guy that's helping them game plan it's terrifying he needs to just leave ohio state so 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 he would he would have been he, he was a mercenary for hire 
until he built his legacy. He would have gone to Michigan if Michigan would have offered it to him because he knew he could have built a legacy to be, you know, the next guy. Um, would have been fine. Yeah, so I mean, that's just that's just what it is. I mean, I, I can tell you with with some degree of certainty, um, there is, um, and calling it like a degree of uncertainty might be overselling it, underselling it. There is very tenuous ground right now in the recruiting landscape as it um, as we talk about the state of California because there are quite a few blue chip athletes. They're that, waiting for Urban. Yes, it, it's um, there are quite a few guys from what I've talked to and who I've talked to that would go to USC. I believe Bryce Young, the five star that flipped from USC to Alabama, would flip back. Um, I think Dorian Green Warren, the Michigan target, I think he's leaning Michigan. I believe that he would end up at USC if Urban Meyer was there. I believe there's at least four Ohio State commits that would be USC commits. I believe there's several Ohio State staff members that would end up at USC. I think there is a great deal of instability that would come from Urban Meyer taking the USC job and a degree of instability that really, if you look at how Michigan's aligned themselves in recruiting and how they've aligned themselves in their staffing, it wouldn't affect them as much because of the emphasis they've been putting on the Northeast and in some of the uh, smaller pockets out West. Um, I believe there's, you know, Jeffrey Percy, uh, who I'm a huge fan of. He's getting bumped up to four-star status soon. He's from Jay Sarah. But there's really not a ton of California guys like there there used to be. I mean, Kakoa Crawford, David Long, um, Zach Charbonnet, uh, Giles Jackson, Najee Harris, the one-time silent commit, one-time enrollee. Um, where I, I think they're aligning themselves. So when, when it does happen they're not as caught off guard because Ohio state's got quite a few West coast commits. Those are quite a few guys that were there and heavily by urban Meyer. You said, you said, you said a word that really inspired hope in my heart is instability. Yeah. Potentially at Ohio state for the first time in 20 years. And that would just be a beautiful, beautiful thing. I think Ryan day is a three-year stopgap. I think he's someone that I, I could be wrong. This isn't any real um, knowledge, but I do think that is part of him that wants to be in the NFL. Um, I think that he's definitely got the trajectory for it, right? Like he he's so hyped up, you know, being Chip Kelly's quarterback in New Hampshire. And then, and then being Chip Kelly's main guy for so many years, and then being Urban Meyer's guy. I mean, just the dearth of knowledge and experience a guy like Ryan Day has to expand and evolve offensive systems and to perfectly grow into the future of football, whether it's in college or the NFL. He definitely seems like a guy who's ambitious enough. He's not going to be at Ohio State for 10 years. I think no. they know that. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's probably, in my opinion, it's probably the, it hurts me to say this, it might be the best job in college football, um, all things considered. You're an SEC team in the Big Ten. It is. Yeah, it, you're, it, an it is. Team, you're an SEC team in the Big Ten without the SEC um, like booster shit at Alabama. 
I mean, they, they haven't had really back-to-back poor seasons in 60 years. Um, Texas has, Alabama has, USC has, Ohio State hasn't. There's a, an incredible amount of talent within a two-hour driving distance of Columbus, and that's an amount of talent that if Ohio State wants, they can get pretty easily. There's um, one of the – they have the best facilities in college football. They are one of the most watched teams, one of the most historic teams. They, for all intents and purposes, are a landscape-changing job, and that's – yeah. And, I mean, it, it's, a better, it's a better job than Michigan. I've got no problem saying that. It, a lot of a lot of that stems from the stability and program continuity they've had over the past sixty years, you know. And the only thing I'll say, I do agree with you for most of the majority of that. I mean, like ninety percent of that. If if Ohio State somehow got super unlucky and and hired the next guy and and whiffed on the next guy, very quickly do those types of jobs drop off from being an elite job to like the next tier job um but Ohio State will always be in the Clemson and Alabama realm where, where all it takes is one great coach right I don't think Clemson's in that realm I, well I, I think they always were potentially in that realm and I think they are now I just because I mean they were they were mediocre for so long but everyone always like, everyone awesome. always knew they had the boosters and the support system to do what they're doing now I don't. I don't think that's. I. I think that is confirmation bias. No. 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 Because I mean, dude, how, they, how do you think Clemson even became a thing? How do you think Clemson even became a thing? Young Padawan. You don't remember the entire two thousands. The entire two thousands was. Is Clemson finally going to win the national title this year? Is Clemson finally going to compete Florida State this year? Is Clemson finally going to? And they well, wait, didn't. But it's it's because. They were rec- Dabo was able to build that up. That's a Dabo thing. Let's no, not- that happened in the past ten years. But they, uh, we're we're not that far removed from a five game losing streak to South Carolina. Oh, so, I know. I'm saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying from the base. I'm talking about before Dabo. Before Dabo, the late '90s, early 2000s, Clemson was in the same realm as Michigan as being considered would, to be one yeah, step away from. Definitely ahead of where Clemson was and probably currently is in the landscape of college football and significantly behind where Ohio State is. Because for, for all intents and purposes, it comes down to, to one thing and one thing only, and that's proximity to talent. And what Ohio State has that's always going to be better than Michigan is proximity to top-end blue-chip talent. Definitely. That's why Georgia, Alabama, LSU will always be in a better-off spot than Clemson. That's why Texas, USD will be in a better spot than Oregon, Michigan, Washington, those schools. Clemson's closer to Atlanta than Alabama is, for what it's worth. It's not just Alabama, though. It's, it's, um, uh, I'm, yeah. Florida. It's that there's the tougher job fighting those battles. They don't have to split, um, or at least with, um, LSU and, and Georgia, they really don't have to split the state as much as, as Clemson used to have to do. I mean, I'd put it on par. I'd put it slightly above the uh, the Ole Miss Mississippi State schools. Michigan where, or Clemson? You know, Clemson, South Carolina. Oh, is like Clemson I mean, is miles above the Mississippi schools, man. I think I think are, I think man. we need to teach you about the South, my friend, because Clemson is Clemson's 
two hours from Charlotte and two hours from Atlanta and only three hours from Florida, uh, two hours from the Florida state line. Clemson is like in the heart of the talent. I'm telling you, man, Tony. And, and they've got the, they've got the, the booster base in a way that I see. I, I don't, I don't think they have the booster base. You think they do. It's a small private school. Actually, I was wrong. I thought they were a private school as well. It turns out they're a public school, which com- complicates things a lot. Yeah, I know. I was very confused and I heard that too. <laughs> oh, it's a public land. I, I always thought they were private as well. Because I think it's because of the whole Dabo Christianity. I mean, thing. I just, it's uh, like the term Clemson just seems so. Private like, school. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And purple. Yeah. yeah, purple is a private one. But I mean, um, I mean, they've got less than like 20,000 undergrads. I mean, it's not the biggest school. It's not in, like, the most, like, talent-filled state. I would put Clemson. I mean, there in the very near future, there is going to be, like, landscape-changing movement in college football, and Clemson might end up regressing to the mean because of it. And by that, I mean Nick Saban will be 70 years old next Halloween. Dabo Sweeney is an Alabama alum. I think Alabama is almost certainly going to get Dabo or Kirby Smart, whichever. I think they'll Dabo. Kirby's a Georgia boy. I know that's his, that's his school. I know I know Kirby's a Georgia boy, but it's also, um, I mean, he he sees what he's replicated the Alabama model at Georgia to a pretty good extent. If he no longer has to work on replicating it and can just step into it, I think that's a different conversation than. I love this conversation, and I want to continue. I, coaching carousel, I've got timelines is my favorite. So we let's pick this up another time. Let's save this for next week and and do mainly coaching carousel slash Michigan Ohio State because I this is my favorite easily. So I'll uh, I'll probably have a piece up by the time um, we record next week on just some of the the jobs opening in uh, college football, which I'm a huge fan of. That's what you get for the Mike Hart on Haskins take. That's right, man. I'm I'm ready for it. I'm ready on my side. Just just wait wait until the compilation of all the Haskins carries this year. Wins a Heisman, I will admit, or even if he finishes better than Mike Hart in the Heisman, which I think was sixth. You, you know what's really sad is we had this entire conversation about 2000s running backs and Mike Hart and Hassan Haskins, and we and I went and said Mike Hart was easily the best running back of the 2000s. And I don't even think that's true to think back on it. Do are, are you gonna say Chris Perry? We totally missed out on Chris Perry. We completely yeah, I, forgot about Chris Perry. Do you want to know what's even sadder? You want to know something that that doesn't seem true, but absolutely is. Was Anthony Thomas year two thousand? No, go ahead. Uh, I think you. I think he was um, ended with like Tom Brady in the Orange Bowl two thousand. But um, but I have never actually seen Michigan beat Ohio State. I have never in my life seen it. You missed. You missed two thousand eleven. Two thousand. So yeah. uh, my high school football team was playing for the uh, Illinois State Championship game. So I was there. Fair. We ended up winning, which is awesome. Michigan ended up winning. Awesome. I have never seen Michigan beat Ohio State with my own two eyes. My high school football team um, that I used to play for is a win away from going back to state. The last time they were in state was 2016. That heartbreaker. I firmly believe had I gone to that game, we win. So I'm I'm serious <laughs> about not watching the game and going to watch 
crappy high school football if if I if it gives us the win. I I'll bite that bullet. I wish I wish it were that simple. I've tried, I've tried. I you know I'm so encouraged by this year. That's my last thought. I'm not encouraged enough to think we'll actually beat Ohio State. <laughs> oh, I I've uh, I told you um, a while ago. I've long since believed if Ohio State beats Penn State, we're going to beat Ohio State. If Ohio State loses to Penn State, we are fucked. Yes, I agree. I agree. We have to hit him on 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 an off day. That's how it is. All right, he's Harry Hillman. I'm David Arnold. Same Harry Fish podcast. At Harrison Quinn 90. At David Arnold Mish. And until next time, Harrison. Harry. Mr. Harry, Hillman. Mr. Hillman, I go for all those. That's right. It was David. Um, went a little longer than I thought, but uh, hopefully uh, people like it. We like to talk. We like to talk. We'll refine it as it comes along. All right. Have a good night, man. You too, my man.